Hi, I'm Colleen Doran. Currently, I'm working with Neil Gaiman on some wonderful projects like Snow Glass Apples. Our other book is Troll Bridge. And I have lots of other fun things coming out with Warren Ellis and Matt Hawkins at Top Cow, a new series called The Clock. And I'm the creator of A Distant Soil for Image Comics. And this is 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Cats and dogs. Jason, all Jason has to do is appeal to my puerile sensibilities, and he got me. <laughs> I start laughing like a giddy kid. Uh, you don't need no highbrow, highfalutin humor for me. This is the truth. It's true. Yep. How the hell are we this week? I'm doing great. Nice. <laughs> Better now that we're paid. You got paid, that's good. Sweating like that, like that. I like was that Jordan, like that Jordan Peele gift. That if, I, if it went into tomorrow, definitely. But uh, no, um, my wife was ready to make some phone calls um, during lunch, but it all happened right before that for us. So, but what's crazy? So, so the uh, the college's payroll is is taken care of by Chase, and my wife and I are not with Chase. Mm-hmm. I have some coworkers in my office who are chase customers and we got paid before they did which just boggles my mind as that i would think that would be the easiest transaction to make before you go to other financial institutions but apparently not so but we're we're, we're, we're good everything's fine <clears throat> damn it what? that was a good segue but i have to introduce what this is first yes so, hey everybody Hey. Hi, it's 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 632, yo, and I'm Vince B. Oh, you are. You are Vince B, and I, I'm i a light-headed David A. Price. That is true, and I am everybody's favorite miscreant, Jim Jimmy Jim. Oh, I'm starting to love you. But you, you well, I'm starting to love you more, but you're not Jim Jimmy Jim, because then you'd be an asshole, but you're... Jason Wood, everybody. Wow. And I'm dragging that, that, that segue from the beginning of the show. And if you think David had an easy transaction, whoa, Nelly, you've, <laughs> you've never shopped at Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get the easiest transaction in the whole world, the whole universe of comic book buying. All you have to do is you go on to DCBService.com. Like I said, you click on what you want to buy and whoa, in your box goes all these books, and then you get them in a little while delivered right to your door. It's crazy easy. And it also happens to be the cheapest way you're going to find your books, such as you say that you like this Miyazaki guy, especially Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Well, there's a book that very strongly resembles Miyazaki. It's called Drifting Dragons. It's volume one from Kodansha. They always do good stuff. Written and drawn by Taku Kuwabara, and it will cost you not twelve ninety nine as it says on the cover. No ho. It will cost you seven dollars and fourteen cents. That's forty five percent off. It's crazy. Mm. Uh from the Dark Horse, they're continuing with the world of the Black Hammer this time around. It's Skulldigger and his his little buddy 
what's his buddy's name? I had his buddy written down, and now I don't have his buddy. Skeleton mm. Boy? Yes, Skeleton Boy. And Spiral City's in trouble. And Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy have to have to save it from this Grim Jim character. I don't know who it is, but it, it's Black Hammer, so you know it's going to be good because it's written by the architect of said franchise, Jeff Lemire. This time it's drawn by Tansi Zanjic. Mm. It's a three ninety nine cover price, but you're super smart. You're getting it for a dollar ninety nine because you know where to go, and the prices are low. And last, but certainly not least, from IDW, my man Peter Kowalski on this book called Wellington, written by Aaron Mankey from the Lore Podcast and Delilah Dawson. This thing is an amazing new supernatural thriller that shines a light on the mysteries and monsters lurking in the shadows. You got me. Meet the Duke of Wellington, one of England's most decorated military heroes and, unknown to most, her most daring monster hunter. Bah, bah, bah. The secret history of the Iron Duke begins here. Wellington, number one, IDW, $1.99, 50% off. Are you people mm. crazy? Get to Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, and reap the rewards of intelligence. Weird. It's just it's a smart thing to do. It's true. Your creative team was at the image booth when we were up uh, near Comic Con, right? And we were standing by talking to Sarah. Who was there? The Wellington team. Why were they at the image booth? Or not the image booth. They were up at the booth. They were at the IDW booth? Yeah. yeah Peter yeah. Kowalski was there? Indeed he was. Why did no one tell me this? I didn't even know you were interested in the book at the time. A sweet baby Jesus. Yeah. How long have I been going on about Peter Kowalski? Proof positive that Jason does not listen to me. No, listen. First of all, I didn't even realize it was Kowalski because the book Wellington didn't mean anything to me at the moment. Okay. I just saw it was, oh, creators of Wellington sitting right there. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that's about. But well, if I had if we had recorded this intro a few weeks ago, then it would have all come together like a puzzle. Like a puzzle. OK, then. DCBService.com. Do it. Yeah. What are we drinking, my favorite fools? Oh, fresh from the beautiful Isle of Poland, I'm drinking Poland Spring <laughs> water. <laughs> it's like my favorite Isle. You're such an ass. The Isle of Poland. <laughs> I also have some uh, pure leaf tea as well. Wow, <laughs> mixing it up. Yeah, yeah, switching it up. It's good to see. I am, um, again, removing the taint of the yingling from my... Uh, <laughs> Doing the Lord's work. Vince. Yes, from my refrigerator in the garage. I must make room for something better. Like Sam Adams. Mm. It is better. Maybe Sam Adams. Yes, it is. It's far it's better. 76. It's a superior beer. I agree. Yeah. Um, I was going to actually grab the... Uh, my my big ass bottle of of Poland Spring before I came upstairs, but um, I do have some seltzer to enjoy after I finish this glass of Line Thirty Nine Cabernet Sauvignon. What is it? What's the Wine Thirty Nine? Line. Oh, Line Thirty Nine. Line Thirty Nine. Gotcha. I had um, I had a glass or um, more than two at the um at the pub tonight, so I'm just trying to stay coherent because i'm really really excited 
to hear about um, what you all are uh, have on tap for tonight. So I, I want to make sure I'm lucid for that. See, when when you say you're really excited of about hearing, that implies that you won't be doing much talking. And I don't know if I can have that. No, no, no. I didn't say. I mean, if according to my list, there's there's quite a few things on there. There are a couple of things that I definitely want to mention because I read and I'm really excited about. Um, so yeah, no, I, I I will be, and I don't think I'll just be saving it for for my in your travels. But um, I the things that a um, couple of things that you specifically, Vince, right, have um, locked and loaded, and and uh, according to our patron slack um jason has also read i will say um in advance that they are on hold for me at the library so i cannot wait to i i'm I'm looking forward to hearing about them so this way i can then go and read them when they finally arrive well nice and if uh you are a patron you already know that we had a little bit of a throwdown on the, the the patron slack channel because uh, I said, well, this is a uh, a landmark episode because I don't have one. I have two major things that I've read that were both written and drawn by women. And that's almost never happened. I mean, I love the ladies, but uh, it just so happens that I don't read a lot of stuff uh, created by women. I don't know why that is. One of these ladies is mm. one of my all-time favorite creators too. It's true, mm-hmm. and, yes. and and it's and this is not, um, this was not planned at all. But over the past week, actually, yeah, by the end of the weekend, I had read things that were written and drawn by women. So I mean, we could have had we actually attempted to, it could have been a, a, a thematic episode. Could have been ladies' night. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely, but. Um, but no, it's it's uh, it it is what it is. But yeah, it's um, right. It's just the way I it mean, happens. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. I mean, I think for you more so than than maybe Jason and I. Yeah, it, it it's it is weird for you. Not, I mean, we we we've talked about um, uh, crap. Well, I mean, the, we still have the follow up to read about Vince the, uh, the 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 sixtress. But I mean, we we have read. Obviously, you you you've read work by women before but sure. yeah it's it's but, weird that you know that that just it's it's rare that there yeah. are some things that you are really excited about that right. were right but and, I, and, and, and i know and why actually, it is i know why it is because my sensibilities are attuned to the horror and the uh the extreme the transgressive the disturbing and a, there's not a, a lot of ladies that parlay in those genres let's just mm. say I mean, to my knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it just so happens that I've been following this one lady for decades. So she's she's grandfathered in. But I don't go out of my way to say, hey, I'm not reading that. That's by a woman. That's not how it works. Right. It's yeah. just that thematically, the stuff that I normally intake are not usually created by women because right. of what they are, not who they are. Right. So, you, Jason, you want to talk about uh, one of them? I am, he, I am your wingman, my, my friend. All right. First up, I heard a lot of positive uh, banter, praise for this work. Um, 
the first time a woman has written and drawn this strip, uh, taking it away from a man who uh, over-sexualized one of the characters and it strayed uh, drastically from <laughs> from the original mission statement. And uh, I'm, of course, talking about Nancy by Olivia James, mm-hmm. volume one. Uh, and I did not know, but Olivia James is a pseudonym. Yeah, yeah. D- didn't know, d- and I, I, I'm guessing, I'm sure some people know, but the world at large does not know exactly who is writing and drawing the syndicated Nancy strip. That's right. That's crazy to me. It's crazy that I was, as I'm going through it, I'm thinking this, a lot of it's very similar to Lisa Hannawalt's humor. But then I said, nah, something told me it wasn't Lisa Hannawalt. Um, a lot of people thought it was Allie Brosh. Okay. She has come out and said it's not her. So, Right. Well, I mean, the book is a hardcover uh, published by Andrews McMeal Publishing. And it contains the strips produced from April 9th, 2018 to January 13th, 2019. It's basically a year in the life of Nancy. And it's a 146-page hardcover. And after I was done, I closed the, the cover and I sat back and I'm thinking, now I know how Roland Deschane feels or felt in The Gunslinger. Because remember that line? When he says the world has moved on, Mm -hmm. the world has moved on from me. Yeah. I'm not saying that I disliked it, but the, the world of Nancy is, is at least under the guiding hand of Olivia James is not the world of Nancy that I knew growing up, but that's a good thing, right? Because Things progress. People evolve. Society changes, right? Olivia James's Nancy is steeped in technology. Social media, smartphones, earbuds, Mm. Snapchat filters, tablets, jargon, apps. Like everything my kids are into, Nancy's into. Yeah. Makes sense because she's a little girl. It does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. Nancy is in the now. It's... This book is devastatingly contemporary. Nothing that happens within these uh, strips would be out of place if you were looking outside your window. This is the world, right? And I'm thinking, wow, that's a really smart way to do it. Or because, reading a post on Facebook. Yeah, right. Um, right. She's still that self-centered, unmotivated, self-serving jerk who loves Sluggo, but now she's a hyper-connected, self-centered, unmotivated, self-serving jerk who loves Sluggo. And, and the thing that really won me over is the strip and the characters are completely self-aware and self-referential. They know that they're characters in a comic strip. Nancy frequently refers to the artist. She'll, she'll say, uh... The artist is feeling is having a bad day. Maybe she doesn't feel like drawing or maybe they don't feel like drawing this panel or a giant pencil will come in and and erase part of the the strip. And it's they 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 are aware that they are nothing more than characters in a comic strip that appeals to me right off the bat because I love it when art is Mm self-aware. Right. And. 
Nancy will play with the mechanics of comics. There's there's a strip. Let me see on page twenty two, I think, where uh, and it's not, this is not going to be me just reading strips, um, but this it's a Sunday strip, and it's it says uh, humor is always changing. Nancy's reading a broadsheet, the old time uh, Sunday comics page, and then she's reading a comic book, and then she's reading something on her phone. Right, and she says something baffling to one generation might be hilarious to another. Nancy laughs, and it's like, but one experience unites us, no matter what gags we grew up with. And it's Nancy reading <coughs> the Nancy strip on a laptop, and then it shows Nancy at the laptop saying, "This is supposed to be funny. I could write better jokes than these." Like she knows that she's the focus of a work of art. That's I love that. That's brilliant. And it makes me makes me so happy because art imitates life, imitates art. And we can get into the whole um, Tulpa thing where if enough people believe in something, then, you know what I mean? Then it becomes real uh, collective unconscious and all that stuff. But we won't go there. It's just a innocuous, little, brilliant comic strip. And massive changes were made going into it because um, Gilchrist kind of hypersexualized aunt fritzy yeah for sure and mm. uh that turned a lot of people off and um james brings it back to the roots where uh aunt fritzy is i mean she's attractive but she's not a bombshell right and mm -hmm. sluggo is she she took away sluggo's weird um vocal affectations um i always got the impression that sluggo had a a bit of a, an accent or, uh, you know, and Sluggo's just a little boy now, right? And uh, James introduces some great new characters in this thing. There's a teacher. Um, they She never really gives the name. It's just Mrs. Mrs. Teacher. And uh, this teacher kind of pushes Nancy because Nancy's extremely unmotivated. And she's smart, but she doesn't, she's not a, a an overachiever by, by any means. And the teacher kind of manipulates subtly Nancy into joining the robotics club. And just the concept of Nancy in a robotics club just blows my mind that <laughs> uh, James would even have the, the stones to attempt something like that. Um, but she's in this to do what she wants. Like there's the famous Labor Day strip that really got james a ton of attention and it, it it reads artist note it's labor day so i'm taking the day off instead of a new comic please enjoy these sneak peek at panels that will be appearing in upcoming strips and it's nancy on a Segway with a smartphone google glasses and a selfie stick and she says sluggo is lit and, yes. and that phrase yeah, which viral, yeah. it went crazy right but the next panel is aunt fritzy in um down uh, leggings completely obscuring her body and she says that's why I'm only wearing snowsuits from now on and then the next panel is Nancy holding a smartphone and it's an infinite loop the picture inside the smartphone is the hand holding the smartphone and the picture in that smartphone is the hand holding so it's a, an infinite well of smartphones just to piss people off it's like technology is here in Nancy you don't like it well I guess you're just going to have to look elsewhere because I'm not deviating from my mission statement. And then everything together in the last panel, Sluggo is lit. And it's just, just Nancy saying Sluggo is lit. 
it gave me the giddies. There's a shirt. Yes. With Nancy. Mm-hmm. I ordered it. <laughs> yeah. I ordered the Love damn it. Sluggo is lit t-shirt because Neat. it just makes me giggle. It's it, it because well, you know, I love it when creators slyly flip the bird to the readership. Mm-hmm. That that really like I I love it in DK2 when Frank did it. I you I, did. I, I enjoy that maverick spirit that that just steps up to the podium, sings their song the way they want to sing it. They don't wait for the accolades or the 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 you know uh, bravos. They just do what they got to do, and then they step down. That was my piece, and I did mm-hmm. it the way I wanted to do it. I love that. Um, but it's just crazy how much depth there are to these characters. Like, so Nancy, like I said. She joins the robotics club, and because of that, she meets a girl named Esther, and she's a friend of me. And at least initially, they they kind of butt heads because they're very similar. And um, Esther's kind of Nancy V two, but she she's <laughs> she's smart. And and she's not unfeeling, but she refuses to project an image of anything other than a reflection of her true feelings. Like if she doesn't feel like smiling, she's not going to smile. And she she very rarely smiles. Like one of the gags is Nancy trying to get her to smile, and she her smile changes minimally. And Nancy's like, "Well, okay, I'll take that as a win," you know. Um, she doesn't put on a brave face and just grin and bear it. She's her own little girl, and that's I guess that's the overarching theme of this strip is that these people are their own people they're beholden to no one right um fritzy is basically an adult version of nancy with all the guilt that comes from being an adult like nancy doesn't really want to do a lot of stuff and she doesn't do it because she can she's a kid but fritzy doesn't want to do it either but she does because she's an adult and if she doesn't do it nobody's going to do it um but they never i don't even think bushmiller said why Fritzy had Nancy in the first place. Like, how did Nancy end up at her aunt's house? Like, what happened? Right. That, oh, that, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, know. It's, it's never been revealed, right? Yep. But there's a robotics competition where they have to build a robot that transverses a maze and throws a ball. And, and Nancy just sees it as, like, such a chore to do it. But she mm-hmm. does it. She, whether it's the teacher's invisible nudging that, gets nancy to do it or whether it's nancy somewhere uh, realizing that yeah i can do this this seems like fun i can do it but she does it and and they uh naturally she does it for the for the accolades because there's one strip where um they they have the robotic arm and somebody comes up and she they say well yeah i guess you're you're real happy about this your achievements and nancy makes the robotic arm clap <laughs> so it's just, it's so it's sweet it's cute i i thought it was amazing i'm completely mesmerized by this book well i'm not surprised by that because anyone that listened to our theme episode of comic strips your love of comic strips in particular classic comic strips came yeah. through so yeah i think she's it, doing a phenomenal job right yeah yeah so so the interesting thing about this one when i saw it was on your list is that um Last year, when which I do every year, when it's time for the year-end Levin O'Closkers, uh, at the year-end, as we know, we get a deluge for, of of best-of lists from all over the place, right? And uh, 
I like to read them to see if there's anything that, uh, you know, is worth checking out that we might have missed. Because even though we, we read and talk about a crap ton of stuff over the year, there's always stuff that uh, just we don't just doesn't make our purview, you know. And last year, I just you couldn't find a best of comics list from 2018 that didn't have Nancy mentioned. Right. It was on everybody's list. So I thought, well, that's weird because I, I didn't realize when I first saw it on the list, like why this old school comic strip would be getting such run. And then as you already alluded, it had been taken over by this new creator who was a pseudonym and presumably a woman and had modernized it. And so um, I read a bunch of the strips uh, online at gocomics.com, um, which our listeners can do if they want. They can just you can go to gocomics.com where there's a ton of comic book strips for free, and Nancy is available there for free. Um, and I just read a bunch of them, and 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 so probably I guess early January is when this all happened. Uh, and I just we just never got never got around to talking about it on the show. I think because I didn't end up putting it on my Kloskers, and then we. We did the awards, and then we just moved on with other stuff. So I, I never, I never came up. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I echo a lot of what you said. I, I think that she's doing a terrific job. It's, it's definitely a comic that I'd love for my kids to read to see if they find it funny, um, because it is much more about their life than it is our lives. Um, but having kids of that generation i i definitely get the jokes i i don't know that i i don't know that i i, I don't know this is a strip that I, I i read and just guffawed or or just thought was transcendently funny um but like it's hard for me to read this given the the, the theme and not compare it to peanuts or calvin and Hobbes, and and i don't think it's in that stratosphere but I definitely think it's well executed and it's cute and the modern take is neat to see because the imagery is so old school. What I'm wondering is that I think one of the one of the things that makes this interesting to us is that we remember the old version of Nancy and in most ways it's still drawn that way. So it seems strange to hear and see that character dealing with the things she's dealing with. But I wonder if someone that was younger that had no history with Nancy, if they would be as taken by the strip because visually, it, I mean, it's just a little girl, right? So, like, I, if it was just a random girl, I don't know. I wonder if that affects the enjoyment of the book or the quirkiness of it because they have no history with that visual. But right. I don't know. I, I'm curious to show it to my kids and see because they certainly don't know Nancy from anybody. But, uh, yeah, but it's it's really good. And, and um you know, I, I think there's a little bit of a mini renaissance in comic strips right now as well. Um, Far Side's coming back. Um, you know, this is this is going hot and heavy. So I, it's good to see. I'm glad to see that the art form has found a way out of the nadir um, of of newspapers dying and, uh, yeah. and it's being reborn. Right. Well, contrary to the uh, Olivia James mission statement, I read Nancy in paper form. Right. No, I realize that's probably why you ended up bringing right. it up now. But if, yes, if I, I had to read it online, I probably would not have. Okay. I don't have the hardcover. I like I said, I just read it digitally. So, but the hardcover's jammed. Uh, the back matter. There's a long, long interview with Olivia James, and she seems like a genuinely funny person. 
Then there's a uh, Walking in Nancy's Shoes, The Long Mile from Ernie Bushmiller to Olivia James by Hilary Price. There's a bunch of uh, pinups in which James renders Nancy and Sluggo in different styles, which is cute. Yeah, she also plays with the conventions of comics, right? There's one one Sunday strip where Nancy and Sluggo are walking, and there's an ice cream cone on the sidewalk. So you assume that one of them dropped the ice cream cone, right? And Nancy says, it's human to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect, you know. And Olivia puts two commas. Two, there's a comma after perfect. Nobody's perfect. And then on the next line, there's a comma before you know. So she misuses the comma. Right. And it says what really matters is what happens after you mess up, picking yourself up and finishing what you've started after all. And then the last panel is just James's rough. She didn't finish the panel. (laughs) That's that's great. That is cute. That's really cute. And it's just like, all right. So um, we're we're reaching out past the uh, the picture plane. And, you know, we're, we're tickling your chin because mm-hmm. this has just become meta. Um, there's this one girl who's introduced later in the run. We don't get a name for her, but she's, she's, a, she's a little pissy pants. And um, she comes – she doesn't like Esther for some reason. And she says, Esther, it's so nice to see you. Oh, and look, you've made a friend. And friend is in italic. And mm-hmm. it's the first instance in the entire book – where an italic font is used. And Nancy says, wow, she's so snooty. The artist had to make an italics version <laughs> of the font just for her. <laughs> right? It's, um, but this may drive you nuts, Dap. She starts off with punctuation in the first couple strips. And after maybe a month or two, she drops punctuation entirely. There's no periods at the end of these sentences. Yeah, that, that's well. That is that's if, text um, speak, right? Exactly. It, yeah. People, it's, it's for whatever reason. I don't know how or why, but uh, some time ago, I, I guess some research was done, or it was just decided that if you actually do end your text with a period, um, that you're angry or um, yeah, my kids say that. Why are you mad? And like, I, don't, I don't get it. It's I like, said, what are you talking about? Right. Why, why would you bother putting a period at the end of your text message? Because, because it's the end of the sentence. Exactly. But you're not, you're not, you're texting is a different form of communication. Is no, it not a it's, sentence? It's, Does it's, it not have a subject and a verb and everything else that goes along with it? It needs a friggin' punctuation on it. It's, well, it's, it's you're, unfinished. You're, well, you may think that, but 95% of people who text don't. That's fine. And, no, and, the and, English and language. And, and, grammar. And I'm a stickler for punctuation. And When someone form. sends me a text and it doesn't have a period on it, I don't, I don't judge them. I don't think something is wrong or I don't think that they're angry or that they're pissed about something. That, that's, I get that they – when I send a text to my sister, she, she wants – she'll ask me – like why? Why did I spell out that word? Why? Why am I not using just single letters and numbers when I'm texting? And I'm like, because fucking grown ass man, I because I, I know how to write. I, I don't. I don't give a shit. Like that. That's fine if that's the way that the the communication has advanced or is is should be performed. If you want to do that, that is fine. I I can't. 
it it takes more work for me to change my way of thinking to text the way people the the general the the, the normies are texting than it is for me to to just I'm just going to send the sentence. If you can read it, great. Then, then my message is clear. We've communicated. We can move on. I don't. I don't want to have to change my way of texting just to send you a sentence. And this is part of the reason why I said after reading this, I feel like the the world has moved on. Yes. And, yeah. No. I, and that's great. That I mean, yes. that's fine. I. I. That's what happens to these things called, you know, society. They they change and they evolve or if you want to call it that, and they, you know, they find new ways of doing things and that's fine. I don't have to subscribe to it, but right. I think it's neat to, to visit this world through the eyes of this, this little girl. Um, yes. And I, and I like the fact that James updated this girl to the present time because I think she'd be foolish not to. Right. I, I, it I just like makes that. sense. I, I, I appreciate that visually nancy and and her world are still look the same based on depending on how long you've been maybe reading comic strips but i i am in love with the idea that even though she looks familiar to longtime comic strip readers her world has has advanced and and is more modern and and well that's the masterstroke the, right. the, it, it's it's that is uh, masterful in the recognition or, or the realization that this is the same character mm-hmm. that you knew all the way back then. It's just that now she lives in the present day. Like the that's the whole st- sticky wicket with characters. They don't age and die at like normal well, they're they're given they're, your they're eternal given your your love of peanuts mm-hmm. uh, and again i would ask everybody to go back and listen to our our comic strip episode because that was a lot or of fun popeye but yes yes yeah, yeah but peanuts. i mean no but given your love of peanuts though uh because you were baffled that i only had a number five on my list um would you feel okay if peanuts was coming out and it was like this no absolutely not i would think not yeah yeah no. No, no, because because you, yeah. Sparky's not drawing it and writing it, and and that's and and this well, is but, what... but but this is being drawn and written by someone new. But there are some right. things. I mean, I love Nancy as a as a character and Bushmiller, great. Um, but I'll be honest, Bushmiller is not Charles Schultz. No, that's why and, I bring and, it up. That's and my point. Like peanuts, it's it's, it's all relative, right? I mean, yeah, there's well, cer- yeah. There's certain things that are canon. Certain things are okay to to to, to reinvent. Sure. It would be if, if someone decided to to take over Calvin and Hobbes or the far side. Oh, it's I like, it just, it. No, it wouldn't right, have it. Exactly. No, so so I definitely but but as far as I mean, yes, what I, I what I love about the comic strip medium and, and the different strips there are out there is that Nancy has I'm gonna say evolved. The the character still looks the same, but the world is different. But you have you have strips like for better or for worse, or even Gasoline Alley, which is kind of is is um is taking place. I mean, it's it's like a, a an eighty plus year old comic strip because the characters that were in it from the beginning have all aged and matured, and some have died, and 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 the next generation has lived on. Same thing with Funky Winker Bean. But you have other strips that are pretty much just 
encased in amber and and like peanuts like like Luane. No, no, no. Luane has changed, but like uh, maybe Marvin or even Calvin and Hobbes. I mean, there's just some some strips that just that that's the world they live in. That is that's that's their environment. That's what p- people are are comfortable with. That they don't want to see. They they don't need to see Calvin as a teenager or in college. It's it's I I enjoy right. this kid and his imagination with his stuffed tiger. That's 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 that world and that's fine. But something but a character like Nancy, which is way different than Peanuts or BC or Hagar the Horrible. That's Nancy has the ability because it's it's Nancy. It's it's you you can. <laughs> change things you 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 can manipulate it you can actually take it in a different direction than 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 you could um any other strip really i mean doonesbury is its own thing bloom county became its own thing and it's it's it's, but but there are just there are some strips where this is you know i read this every day and and this is the strip I, i want to enjoy and this is just how these characters are. I only care about shoe. I only care about these birds and I don't want to know, you know what the hell they're going on outside of this tree and the newspaper. And, and, but Nancy can let people know that there is a whole other world outside of this newspaper that you're reading. Right. It's just that some creators are so overpoweringly pervasive in the who they are you can't separate the who they are from the things they've created like george Mm -hmm. harriman with crazy cat if no one else in the world till the end of time could touch crazy cat and do it like harriman the same thing with peanuts those were charles schultz's children right he spoke through all of them to change the voice you change the kids but like characters like popeye who you know, I'll be honest, a lot of different people can write Popeye. Popeye's not that difficult to write, as as long as you get you know the mannerisms down and the the the, the desires and the wants and the, the the motivations. Popeye's pretty easy, right? Yeah. Same, same thing with Nancy. Nancy is she's manipulate manipulable. She's mo- easily malleable. Yeah, she's mo- easily molded. Right. Anybody could get in there malleable. and malleable and speak through Nancy, which is awesome. That we have a woman doing it now, and and mm-hmm. I'm I'm all for it. Dap the the best strip in the book. This is the one. It it happens ninety four pages in, so it's roughly three quarters through the book. This is the strip where I just stopped and said, "Okay, this woman is brilliant. I will follow her, whatever she does." It's a Sunday strip, and it's at night, and Sluggo's looking at a a, a lantern, and he says, gross, there are so many bugs that flew into our porch lamp and died. And then you see the, the the lamp with all the bugs littering the bottom of it. And he says, I'm going to send a picture to Nancy. Takes a picture of the lantern. So then we see Nancy's bedroom at night. The covers are pulled back. Nobody's in the panel, just the furniture. Then we pan over and we see her dresser. Still dark. And then we see another dresser, still dark. And it's Nancy in the final panel in the dark, in her bedroom, looking at her phone, the light of which is shining on her face, and she says, ha-ha, those stupid bugs. <laughs> that is a brilliant strip. The same thing that attracted the bugs to the lantern attracts <laughs> Nancy to the phone. 
It's uh, simple, but it. Uh-huh. I mean, it speaks volumes about current society, right? We yeah. are we are bugs. Well, not we, yeah. but we. You're but yes, we it's, it's very writ large to... are tempted by the allure yeah. of that screen. Yeah, I love this strip. This is this is like the. I I, I hope she continues to do it for years and years and years because I want to see if she uh, eclipses the 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 grandeur of this one the Sunday strip. Because this this is the peak for me so far. I mm-hmm. like Sluggo is lit. I do, but this this one is the one that does it for me. She's smart. She's ballsy, and and I, I'm in for the duration. This book is a super value because it's fourteen ninety nine for a hundred. Right? It's a hardcover, hundred and forty six pages, fourteen ninety nine. I got it through DCBS. I think I paid eight bucks for this. Nice win, super win, yeah. super and it has a spot varnish. On the cover, oh, there you go. And the back cover, and the front cover is Nancy happy. Back cover is Nancy pissed off. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. Not the best thing I read all week, but I love it. Oh, foreshadowing. Yeah, love it. So, what else do we have? Well, let's let our man speak on something. Well, he's yeah, it's his turn. I just. <laughs> it's your turn. Okay, it's my turn. You got a long ass uh, list. I'm looking at it right here. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got plenty um, to talk about. No, I do. I know. And I meant to take notes when I got home and it didn't happen. Um, so there is, um, there's a graphic novel from Boom called, um, and, and this caught my eye because of the title and because they actually used, um, the correct, um, word in the title the the it it is by new york times best-selling author gabby dunn it is illustrated by claire rowe and it is called bury the lead and it is lead l-e-d-e which is the right way but um this is uh i am not familiar with gabby dunn uh but she is as the um as the the cover says a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, she is an LGBTQ activist, uh, recovering journalist. Uh, sh- her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Cosmopolitan, New York Magazine, Boston Globe, um, every basically every major publication that exists. Uh, she is the host and creator of the podcast Bad with Money with Gabby Dunn. Um, so we have her resume. We also have Claire Rose's resume. Who uh, she has worked on uh, titles from Vertigo and DC and Boom, like Wonder Woman, uh, Batgirl, Birds of Prey, um, and we come back or welcome back because the L is in parentheses. But this the um, the story is about a young woman, an intern. Um, who is uh who has a job um her name is madison jackson she she's an intern at the um at the boston lead which is a newspaper in boston um it's it's main competitor is it's kind of like i guess the um the way the the daily news and the new york post kind of um compete the post is is mostly trash whereas daily news might be a little bit more of a um of a of a more respectable paper but uh, the competitor for the lead is is the Boston trombone um but Jackson Madison uh lives with her brother and his fiance uh they're about to get married her brother works for the mayor who is on 
her way to um, is is very strong possibility of becoming um, the next president in the uh, in the upcoming election. But the gist of the story is the um, there is a dead husband and a missing son, and the woman who is in prison um, who confessed to the murder of her husband may not be telling the truth. And, and Madison is kind of aware that because, because, because the wife weighs like, you know, under hundred pounds, there's no way she was able to uh, kill the husband, string him up, um, make it look like he was you know, hanged and, and do all of this on her own. There's no way she has to be covering for someone. Um, but, but the wife's not hearing it. She, she's like, you know, no, this is the way it happened. This is what happened. But while she's doing this, it, it, it's, it's, there's a little bit of a silence of the lamps thing going on. The, the, the murder suspect is kind of feeding Madison information that she can use to write some articles for the, um, for, for the paper to, to maybe get to the bottom of some things. Uh, there's a, um, there's a whole, I don't even want to call it a secondary plot line. It's, it's still, it's still part of what's going on. And, and, um, it involves the school system and the superintendent of schools. And, um, it's, it really, it, I, I read it in, I read it in an afternoon. I, I, I started it, Really couldn't stop. I mean, the the artist the artist solid. The art moves the story along. It's not like it's it's a super action packed book. It's not it's not a superhero book where there's a lot of punching and explosions and and it's just it's 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 mostly just people interacting with one another. Um, but the people in it feel very um, they feel real. There's uh there's a um there's a reporter that Madison you, you, the, the story is for the most part told from, from Madison's point of view um, anything she's thinking that that's what's in the, in the caption boxes um, so the secondary star reporter at the lead is, uh, is Lexington Ford and she um, she's very I'm not going to say stubborn, but, but, you know, when she's in, when, when she's in them, she's into a story, she, she needs to follow through, but she's also very, she tends to be by the book. So she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to become the story. She just wants to report on the story and Madison being the intern and, and wanting to, you know, wanting that byline and, um, making sure the story is told. She, she's not, Madison tends to not, she, she's too young. She doesn't have the experience to know where, where she ends and the story begins. And, and, and she's kind of, um, she's kind of mixed up in it. And, and so she wants to give Lexi the story as long as she's also involved, but she's not, she's not giving Lexi all the information. And, and so she's keeping some things to herself because she is, she did, she's not trying to say she's making it appear that she is finding these things out as opposed to them being fed to her by the murder suspect. And so, so there, there, there's some, 
there's some manipulations going on. Uh, but I feel that the, the story done told with these characters, it, it, it definitely, um, it was very easy read. But I'm not gonna say it was a quick read because there's, there's a, there's a ton of things going on on these pages, but, uh, it definitely kept my attention. And, and I think the, um, I think it's 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 a it's a really I don't want to say cool because I might downplay it, but I just I really did I was I was very entertained by by the whole thing and and things happen to people that um it, it for some it may not be a happy ending but it is it's definitely uh what they deserved karma is in full effect in in some cases and and just because you may want a Disney ending for some of the characters based on their actions and, and the way the story plays out, that's not, that's not life. And, and, um, their their actions have consequences and that definitely comes into play here. But, um, I, I really, really did enjoy it. And I, um, it was one of those things where I thought even when I thought maybe it would be a little predictable in some cases, um, done bring something in that uh i wasn't expecting and and completely kept my attention on high and and uh i think i think rose art really does a solid job with the story um madison is not she's um she's a little um she's a little thick which you know that's that's fine i I, i'm glad that not everybody is supposed to be you know a dime piece drop dead model in, in this story. It, it, it definitely feels like real people are in this story. The, um, uh, the suspect when, when she's talking to Madison tells, uh, tells, you know, tell your brother to buy a suit because if he's going to be on TV talking for the mayor and, you know, has aspirations to be on bigger and better things, then, you know, he needs to, he needs to look good on TV. And, and that suit was, he needs a, better fitting suit and they're just there are definitely things where uh it just feels more i'll say real life than 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 some other stories it's that not everything is uh if if this was a a top cow book or something like that everybody would look you know all the ed bennis dressed to the nines and and looking all sort of fit in in their suits and dresses and that's nobody looks like that in 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 this in this story um there were some things where some relationships take place where on one hand I, I thought, well, that's, that's just convenient or it's just, that's fine. But if, if any of the characters were actually, if there were, if the genders were reversed and, and there were males in place of the females here, then that just probably would have felt it would have gone the same way. So if that's just, the way of the world with some of these relationships that's that i i didn't feel like there was an agenda or, or they were just trying to it didn't feel like a cw show where it's like well, we're going to make sure that, that that there are some same-sex relationships happening here this this all felt very natural everything in the story um nothing felt forced at all i just um i enjoyed the mystery aspect of it um and i think the the way the characters interacted with each other um, definitely kept me hooked. Um, 
but yeah, this was, this was, it, it wasn't necessarily a, a surprise because based on the preview pages, um, from earlier in the summer, I, I was looking forward to it, but I really didn't know what to expect once I started reading it. And, and once I started, I, I seriously couldn't stop. So, um, yeah, I, I was really, really happy with, with Barry the lead. Yeah. It's sitting on my regime pile right here. So nice. Nice. Yeah. It sounds good. Yeah. That's definitely one of those books where the solicit sold me. So yeah. And I, and I know that it was on your order and, and mm-hmm. I, so I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately, being vague with some things so i don't i don't want to, oh, to overplay so exactly and and um but yeah and and once you do get around to reading it even if it's um you know even if it's all fair or in the slack just you know uh i'm curious on your thoughts but i thought i i thought as far as and like i said i, I i'm not familiar with dunn's work at all so i don't know if this is something that you know could have been one of her novels and and uh and just played better as as an illustrated tale um mm-hmm. i'm not sure where you know if your imagination could have taken you somewhere else but i think uh, i think between her words and what uh and rose line work um i think they worked really well together dope word up um i've read so much goddamn stuff i'm trying to think what i want to hit on uh it's ridiculous um well you know what i Finally, and I say finally because we're already on to a new series by this gentleman. Uh, I finally finished um, Strangers in Paradise XXV, aka oh, 25, yeah. uh, which was a 10-issue series that led directly into five years, which I read the first four issues of that. And uh, I'm going to presume most of our listeners already are familiar with the idea of Strangers in Paradise, Terry Moore's long-running creator-owned work where we follow the lives of uh, Francie and Kachu, who were two young ladies who knew each other since childhood and went different ways, but then life brought them back together and um, uh, they end up together. Uh, Terry did Strangers in Paradise proper for a long, long time. I think twenty, close to 20 years, if not 20 years. And uh, it's a beloved series by many, myself included. Uh, And then he went on to do other things, uh, other creator-owned work, which, not surprisingly, was not as commercially successful. uh, Because when you're a Jeff Smith with with Bone, or you know, you're Terry Moore with with Strangers in Paradise, it's just it's other things you do may be great, but but it's hard to hit that zeitgeist again or Robert Kirkman, right? Like his, he's had plenty of other books outside of walking dead. None have come close to that success. So, um, but I, I read all of Terry's other books, including, uh, or, or I should say, which, which include echo, uh, Rachel rising and motor girl and enjoyed them all to varying degrees. Um, so strangers in paradise 25 was an interesting thing because, um, Terry had, said at the time that he wrapped up SIP that, that he didn't plan on going back to the characters. Uh, and then he changed his mind, which is totally appropriate. They're his characters after all, but it did leave some to wonder if he was needing the paycheck, right? Like it's like the, the Eagles hell freezes over tour. They called it that because <laughs> they said they never, 
they never performed together again until hell freezes over. And then they needed it when they were offered $80 million, they decided it was worth, worth breaking their, their word. I, I wonder if Terry went back because the other stuff he had done wasn't as commercially successful. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if ever will know that, but, but either way, um, I'm sure I'm not alone in, in, in having been intrigued that he brought the characters back into the forefront. Uh, and, um, I read the first issue or two as it came out, and then I just put it aside to wait until it was finished up. Uh, and then, to be honest, I'd kind of forgotten about it on my pile until Five Years was solicited a few months back. And that was very clearly uh, a crossover that was going to feature um, a bunch of characters from all of his works. And I thought, well, now that's interesting. So um, first, let me say that the Five Years is essentially the continuation of strangers in paradise 25. I mean, strangers in paradise 25, 25 issue 10 ends with a reference to five years. And then the first issue of five years picks up almost immediately thereafter. So in a way now, it's just, yeah, go ahead. The, all right. So, so, so with five years, so does that mean that motor girl and Rachel rising that when did those, take place at the end of the first strangers in paradise or during the 25? Um, well, it all happens somewhat concurrent. Well, okay. no, 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 that's not true. Um, so, okay. So, so strangers in paradise 25 takes place after the events of echo because okay. the central plot of this is the aftermath of echo. For those that didn't read echo, that was a sci-fi book that lasted 30 issues and it essentially involved a government plot to create black holes and weaponize them. And um, there was a, a, a in a, in an effort to thwart that, they successfully thwarted it, but not without a a massive disaster of epic proportions, somewhat similar to a nuclear explosion, but larger that happened in Alaska when the the collider that they were building, the particle collider, exploded. Uh, this takes place after that. The whole world has, is aware of the particle collider exploding. They're aware that it was a massive disaster. Essentially, Alaska has been rendered unlivable. And uh, this, place, this takes place sometime after that. Um, the crux of SIP uh, 25 is that uh, Kachu is just living her life, her best life with Francie and their kids. Um, just, just, you know, just doing her thing. Just, just retired, doing her thing. Um, when... Uh, Tambi reaches out to her because um, another Parker girl named Stephanie was caught. Uh, she was impersonating. She was married to a CIA agent to be an operative, and they caught her. And so she cut a deal with the U.S. government to basically rat out. She'd get immunity if she ratted out and gave all of the the, the Darcy Parker uh organized crime family and all the people that were involved and all the contacts in, you know, over to the government. And needless to say, that didn't sit well with Tambi or Kachu because it would mean their lives would be over and they'd have to go on the run or go to prison. So they go on a mission to track down Stephanie and stop her from doing this in, in the interim, Stephanie, because she is, uh, Everyone is now aware of, of, of her trying to be a snitch uh, and, and is being chased all over the world. 
she comes across a ancient Egyptian um, it's a, it's an Egyptian document. I don't know what you would call it. I mean, like a like a like a papyrus type of document that was created by Cleopatra, and Cleopatra in this document was who was known to be very good at math and in love with math had create theoretically created the phi uh, the phi math that was the same math used to create this collider in Echo and. Because of that, this was going to this document now was going to be a hot item in every country in the uh, every country that had a military presence in the world was trying to get their hands on this document to procure it so they could they could try and use the same technology that got blown up to weaponize black holes and 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 become the next major military superpower. So it's basically the the whole ish, the whole crux of the series is basically. Kachu um, traveling the world, trying to catch up to Stephanie and stop her from stop all this from happening. Uh, with with Tambi being the point person, um, Francine is relegated. I think in this book, pretty disappointingly, to she's just at home with her mom and her aunt and her kids, just living a domestic life, barely can communication with Kachu until the final issue. Um, so, so they're really not. My favorite thing about *Strangers in Paradise* was their relationship, and they really don't spend any time together in this book. Um, so that that's a bit of a bummer for me. Um, and I, I, I think other, other people had a similar criticism. Um, and the five years is in reference to the fact that um, because of events that take place throughout *SIP 25*, um, things don't go to plan, and basically the group of people Tambi at all agree that they had the earth has basically five years left to exist unless they stop things because it'll take about five years for countries to build these weapons and if they build them there's no way they won't the things won't go wrong and they basically the, these weapons will destroy the world so the five-year series is 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 them trying to stop this from happening um now the the other strange departure here is that I didn't realize how much of Strangers in Paradise 25 features the characters from Terry's other books. Um, I, I didn't know that they were going to be so prominently featured, but in fact, they're very, very important to the book, um, including and this is it felt weird to me, um, a big a, a, actually a huge part of the of the plot and, and that carries over into into. Uh, five years re- revolves around Rachel rising and Lilith and the supernatural. And I'm just not sure how I feel about like the strangers in paradise world embracing supernatural stuff. It, it, it's odd to me. Um, but, but it is what it is. Essentially all of these people and places take place in the, in the same, in the same continuity. And, and so there's a, there's a supernatural element to it that I'm just going to have to accept. So um, I love Terry's cartooning. And the nostalgia in me, it was great to see these characters again. Uh, I think it was a really well-paced book because SIP lasted, like I said, for two decades. And it was, it was I think, intentionally meandering. Sometimes it was action-packed. Sometimes it was quiet. And I think it served itself well. But this was a jam-packed 10-issue maxi-series. Um, and then it, it fast on its heels is, I don't know, I'm offhand, I don't know how long five years is. I'm not sure, um, even if there's been a... a, a 
I don't, I don't even know if we know. I, I don't know if it's ongoing. I don't know. If, I'm not sure about that. I know we've had four issues so far, but um, but yeah, it's it's definitely intriguing. But it'll really come down to whether you're okay mixing different flavors together because uh, if I could see lots of people not wanting to taint the SIP experience with all of these other things like science fiction and supernatural stuff. Uh, and if that's going to bother you, then, then don't, don't read this stuff. Cause it's for sure something you have to be able to deal with. Um, so like it, love the visuals, like it enough that I'm going to keep reading it, but definitely fits into the category of you can't go home again. I don't think anything, this, this continues in, in the path of, of everything that Terry's done has been good that he's done subsequent to SIP, but just doesn't match up to SIP in it's, in it's pure form. Interesting. You hate it. Stop with the interesting. You hate Terry Moore. I don't. No, see, Terry that Moore. that is not, not true. I don't. He does not. I well, think, you don't I think like he's Strangers a, in Paradise. No, I think he's a very accomplished illustrator. Yes, yes, you do, yes. I, I, I appreciate You just don't it. like the subject matter. Yeah, I just didn't. I wasn't digging it. Mm-hmm. And I bought it for years and years uh, just for yes, the art. Right. Yes, Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, well, I'm just, I'm glad that um, he's still out there doing what he does. Well, I hope he's like I again. I hope this is all because he wanted to do this, and not because he he felt like he needed a paycheck. You know what I mean? Well, if he felt like he needed a paycheck, he could go over to Marvel and say, "Yo, let's yeah. make an event." No, no, yeah, that's go not, back to Spider Man. That's, that's not true. He didn't. No, he. That's not true. He wasn't. His his success in SAP didn't translate into being a very successful creator at Marvel, either critically or 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 commercially. His Runaways Run didn't sell well. I mean, he—that's—that's that's not true. He—he's no, but he's he could—he could still he could he could take Marvel's money without sacrificing his characters. Well, right, but he's not—he's not making life-changing money at Marvel. I mean, my point is—is that—is that he's never come close to matching the commercial success he had when Strangers was at its peak. Because it was no, that, all, that he owned everything. Well. Right. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope. He's going back to these guys because he just had another story to tell and not because he felt he needed to, is all I'm saying. I just hope for your sake that this series isn't a death wish where he just, well, he lets the the uh, things proceed and at the end of the story, kaboom. Oh, I would be fine with that. I mean, I, I would be totally fine with that. It's certainly possible. I mean, yeah. Well, it's built into the mechanics of the story that. If, yeah, I mean, right. Kachu is she's living a dangerous. She's always lived a dangerous life. Right. So absolutely cute as a button. Very much. Very yeah. much. Yep. Francine's on the thicker side these days. She's got the mom bod. Still pretty Ooh. though. Very pretty. Yeah. And insatiable. Oh stop! <laughs> I love it. No, she is. Okay. Francine is like an info. That's her. That's the thing. In fact, Kachu jokes about it. She's she's insatiable. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. We have more stuff. Yeah, what you're sure. So hope so. We do. Um. If, uh, well, complete and unabashed disclosure before we get into this. So take my um, assessment of what you're about to hear with a grain of salt, because if I was independently wealthy, if I had Buckets and buckets of money laying around. I didn't have to work. If I just wanted, if I wanted to buy something, I'd just dip into the bucket of hundred dollar bills and just, you know, 
whatever, I would follow Linda Berry around with giant baskets of rose petals and just throw them at her feet. So, so the, the, the ground would not sully the majesty of this woman's presence. I love Linda Berry. I always have. I always will. I think she's a genius, as does the MacArthur Foundation, because they awarded her the 2019 uh, Genius Award. I think she can do no wrong. I think she is an extremely potent creator, one of the all-time best. So that said, I want to talk about the Freddy stories. Do you? Yes, I do. Uh, Freddy Stories is from Drawn and Quarterly. It's a hardcover. And what it is is um, it's, it's actually a reprinting. There was a, a previous mm-hmm. yeah. volume that was uh, by Barry's um, estimation incomplete because they left a bunch of strips out that kind of tweaked the continuity or they were deemed too depressing. So those strips are collected in the back of this. It's an updated uh, Freddy stories. And what it is, is Ernie Pook's comic ran in the pages of the village voice and others, uh, always a highlight for me. Uh, but most more often than not, it, it focused on Marlis, Marlis Mullen. Um, and the strip is semi autobiographical. Uh, Linda did not have the greatest childhood. Um, and I'm assuming, uh, did not have the greatest mother in the world. Uh, but this is collected stories focusing on Marlis's brother, Freddie, Freddie Mullen. And Freddie's a special little guy. Um, mm-hmm. he, t- he, t- he talks to flies, flies named Jeff. He gets called a uh, fag a lot, a lot, um, a lot. So much so that he learns to call himself variations on the fag theme. He calls himself El Fagtastico, El Fagtastico numero 57. And I'm, I'm not just throwing the word out there. Um, Linda Berry sprinkles that word through this book like, like candy. I mean, it's, it's, it, far be it to say it's on every other page. Um, but she and I are around the same age. And when I was a kid, that was the word you flung at people. Yeah. Let's let's go ride our, let's go ride our bikes. I don't feel like it. Ah, oh, you're a fag. Mm-hmm. Um I mean and, and it's it I don't think it had so much to do with the implications of the word as used back then. It was just a derogatory statement. Like we didn't consider I'm calling you this because I'm implying that you like the same It was just a way to get under someone's It skin. was just right. It was just a way to piss somebody off by calling them a fag. Yeah. Um but they be they bombard Freddie with with the word. I mean, even Marlis says, "This is my brother Freddie. He's he's special. Uh, people call him Fag, you know." And and that's just it's just taken as 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 gospel that that this kid is 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 badgered and berated with this word throughout the series, right? So one summer, Freddie was sent to stay with his cousin Arnold for a couple of weeks. Not for Freddie's sake. No. Mom sent Freddie away to get him out of her hair. See, Freddie's not mom's favorite person. Uh, Freddie reminds mom of her ex-husband. And she also reminds him, her of his uncle, uh, who's a little light in the loafers. And all of the, the, the bad mojo that mom has concerning men is projected at Freddie. 
because he's the only little man in the house. Um, Marlis has a sister named Mae Bon. Um, so it's basically a house of women and Freddie, right? So Freddie said Arnold's, and, and Arnold likes to shoot things with his daisy rifle. Squirrels, birds, the giant tree that blocks his view of the corner where nothing goes on in the shit town where he lives. And, and Arnold has a friend named Jim Jimmy Jim. And that's who Jason was at the, the beginning of the episode. Jim Jimmy Jim hates fags. Jimmy calls Freddie a fag, and of course, that sets in motion the events of the entire series and determines poor uh, Freddie's immediate future. Um, but Jimmy has a nasty uh, predilection for fire. He loves to watch things burn. And he has a sister named Joanne, and Jim Jimmy Jim's very pissed because Joanne is spending a lot of time with Hector. Hector's Latino. Jim Jimmy Jim is collecting gasoline um, in a jar, and he's going to burn down Hector's house for daring to sully uh, his beautiful sister. Arnold is in, secretly in love with, with Joanne, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, so Arnold and Jim Jimmy Jim, they scope out the situation for a while they watch you know when Hector goes into the house and they write it down in their little notebook and um one he's set to do it he's going to burn down the house and uh Joanne enters Hector's house which kind of stymies Jim Jimmy Jim's plans so he decides to burn down the house on another night and Freddie is watching this whole thing from from uh a ways back and he's following them around. He's watching what they're doing, you know. And um, this gives Freddie ample time to uh, alert Hector to Jimmy's plans. And Jimmy goes back to burn down Hector's house. But Hector and his friends, having been warned by Freddie, um, they're lying in wait. So Jim, Jimmy Jim burns down another house instead. He, he set out to burn a house down and burn a house down he did. Unfortunately, this was one in which an elderly woman lived, mm. and Freddie witnessed it. So, long story short, Freddie finds himself in juvie for caring enough to alert Hector, and the fire severely traumatized Freddie. Um, he no longer sees uh, real faces on people. He sees black burning skulls. Everybody with which he interacts has a burning skull face. He sees the old woman black and burning and skeletal screaming. And, and the woman's death so haunts Freddy that he, he sees these skulls for a long time, right? And it's only, there's one thing that pulls him out of it, and that's Shaggy Baba, the lucky chimney sweep. It's a little doll that, uh -huh. that was bought from a seamstress, and, and Freddy uses the doll as a coping mechanism. He creates this language that only he and the doll can understand. Shaggy Baba, Luga Baba, you know, and, and he puts these, he attaches these words to everyday words and it drives his mother nuts, drives her crazy. But that's the thing that helps him cope. He has this own little language that he has with this doll. It comforts him, it keeps him, it makes him understand the world, right? Even though he's speaking in a language that nobody else can understand, except for Marlis. Marlis kind of encourages Freddie to use the language 
and she she'll she'll speak it with him, which also pisses off the mother to no end. And I, I just want to read to you some of the the, the language that that Freddie uses. I mean, it's the, it's it's musical, right? But I could see how it could, um, you know, in in sense, uh, especially. A, a woman that you know doesn't really give a shit about her about her kids all that much, you know it, it it's sagabaka shaggy sabu baba and he just like litters this um, baba baba raka shaggy mama baba saba sister brother baba doctor shaggy back of baba baba you know and and on and on and on it's this it, you know not to belabor the point but it's just it's his way of controlling the world he he's using this language as a as a way to to cope with all of this stuff that he doesn't understand and he, he he can't process because he's a he's an innocent little soul maybe a, uh, no no he's he's he sees the world in a different way than everybody else right um so freddie's traumatized by the fire okay and then glenn enters the picture glenn is weird glenn he he's in freddie's class but he claims he's 37 years old Right, he he, and he wants to play a game with Freddy, where Freddy tries to kill the world with a flood of fag barf, and Glenn will save everyone. Glenn the spaceman is weird, right? And Freddy makes them, and they're kind of sort of friends, you know, like reluctant friends. They're the the they're in that segment of the 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 subdivisions, as Rush called it, of 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 school where. You know, you have your jocks and your your cheerleaders and your your geeks, and they're in the the that group that nobody really wants to bother with. Sub geek, right? Nerds, even below that. But Glenn's in that group too, so they're kind of reluctant friends, acquaintances, pseudo buddies. Not really, but Glenn um, makes Freddie makes the mistake of saying, within earshot of Glenn, that you know he's not really my friend. He's telling it to his classmates, but Glenn hears it, and he begins to make Freddy's life a living hell, miserable. Um, and it's during this time that a monster comes to visit Freddy, this night monster he calls Old Buddy. And it's Freddy's imagination, obviously, obviously. It, and and the, the, night, the Old Buddy is, is, again, another way that Freddy kind of copes with the world, but... It 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 paralyzes him and it shows him things that he doesn't really want to see and it's his mind just racing and Freddie may need medication to to just to put it simply I mean there may be something uh, about Freddie that could be controlled with the proper medication I'm not saying to throw drugs at this kid but some people may need it right and I think Freddie the way his mind races and the the, the implications of these characters that he creates. He he may need um, a little bit of a of a of a, a salve, right? Um, so this is the bad part. Anyway, Glenn takes Freddy. They're playing this game, and he's like, "You're a fag, and now you're my prisoner, and you got to do what I tell you to do." And he takes him in his basement, and Glenn tells Freddy to pretend that he's a girl and a spy, and he's in trouble. Okay, you're a no good, filthy female spy you're in trouble you got to put your hands behind your back and you got to do what i tell you to do and later he hates freddie for what he claims freddie made him do to him so it's it's very strongly implied 
that Glenn sexually molested Freddie. Did you get that, Jason? Yes, I did. Okay. So, so Freddie comes down with a terrible fever, and he's in the hospital. And he's hooked up to you know machines, and it's a fever, which it's the fever so high that Freddie leaves his body. Like he sees it from uh, the standpoint of as if he was astrally projecting, right? He, he's not seeing through his own eyes. He's seeing through eyes that are removed from his body, right? And, and after he leaves the hospital, they have his, they have, he's under control. He's, he's on the mend. He, his, his body got so hot that they said his brain got too hot. And now they're uh, putting Freddie in the special class. And um, Marlis knows that Freddie's not Freddie. And Freddie's struggling with old buddy. He's, he's having this, this war with his own psyche. Um, and th- in, this, in the special class, this is where Freddie makes a friend, crazy-eyed Gigi. And, and they're buddies, and they get close, and, and they share things. And Gigi has a, a very uh, particular way of speaking. She ends sentences with man. What's up, man? Let's do this, man. Hey, man, look at that book, man. Like, she'll say man with everything. And, um, you know, Freddie's grooving on it. He, he, he finally found someone. And Gigi's um, father is a military man. And Gigi has to move away. And Freddie can't cope with it. Uh-huh. And, he, and he, uh, he does what a child uh, trying to understand with the, um, something that they, 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 they weren't built or they don't have the experience to understand. Uh, he's trying to deal with his, his only friend being taken away from him. And what does he do? He socks her in the stomach. He punches her. And understandably, she doesn't talk to him anymore. And she moves away. And, and, he, and that's why I put the, uh, that image on the, the, the Facebooks, on our, our group, that um, it shows a, an image of the bus pulling away, right? And uh, it says, and I have learned from this. You don't sock a person in the gut when they tell you they are moving away because all that happens <laughs> is they get on the yellow bus and you never get to say goodbye and you never see them again. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is Linda Berry. She destroys me. She, she absolutely rips me apart. I don't want to feel. I, I don't want to care about these kids. But she does. She makes me. And I think, I think that's, that's the mark of uh, a, a real super special creator. Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, her her illustration style is is right next to my heart. I love it so much. It's it's seat of your pants, scratchy, um, immediate, extreme, expressive mark making, and I and I just adore it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for our listeners that aren't familiar with Linda Barry, it's important to elaborate on that because I mean, it really does look like she's doodling on paper. And visually, I mean, it just looks like she's just doodling. Even even with the different uses of fonts, and and she'll just make she'll make rough hewn outlines, or she doesn't care too much about panel layout. It's just no. just Mm-mm. she just doodles on the page to tell the story. It's sometimes it's tight, sometimes yeah. it's not tight at all. Sometimes she takes ballpoint and just like you did when you were a kid, you just scratch it all in because you're trying to make it dark, and you just you just run a ballpoint pen across the page. It's just yeah. um, it, it, there's a rawness to it that. Um, it, it, it is in it. 
Glinda Barry is is in that camp of creators where if you if you like your stories of a particular aesthetic, you probably are going to see it and think oh, this isn't for me, uh, and that would be a shame. That would be a shame because um, and, and admittedly that would have been me t- twenty years ago. I mean, I, I would have I wouldn't have been into this at all. There's no chance. But but again, I'm glad that I was able to to adapt my tastes to appreciate this kind of work right. because it's. It's it's incredible. And 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 I I think sometimes people see this type of visual and they assume that it's uh all she can do, meaning like she's incapable of rendering something more pristine or linear, but that's not the case. This is just her this is her way of expressing herself. Well no, yeah, she, that's that's the world at large though. I mean, that's, no, no, I know, but I, I want people to understand. I mean, I, her, I mean, I think the visuals of this are so important to her being who she is. It, right. it, it, it's, you know, um, I, I don't think the ground she treads on story wise is necess- necessarily as unique as the way with which she executes that. And, and the big part of that is the visuals. Right. Well, right? she's, she's, so. I'm sure she's purging demons too. Yeah, like, I mean, she's, she, like you she, said, she had a rough life. Yeah, she's struggling with old buddy, but um, there's a, uh, an, a, a, a not an afterward, but there's a, a part at the end of the towards the end of the book where uh, Freddie encounters Free Dog. Yeah, and, and it'll just break your heart. It will. It'll break. It, uh, Barry completely captures the character of Freddie in this dog. They're, they're they're both kindred spirits. Nobody understands them. Nobody wants them. Um, they're just castoffs that are are forced to find their own way through the through this shitstorm of of a world. And it, it's just it, Barry's amazing. She's amazing at what she does. She's if you've you've seen her other books, um, she's extremely proficient with collage. Books like mm-hmm. What It Is, where where she struggles with the the concept of what is an image what does it do where does it live is it in our minds does it exist outside of our minds does it is there this repository where these images live like what is an image what makes an image why are they so profoundly impactful to us and and now uh, in the, my last box i got her her latest book syllabus um where she it's it's in it's in a notebook form, but it's it's another one of her beautiful collage books where she she again she's she's uh, still investigating this this idea of images and what they do to us and 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 next how these images are translated into comics. That's her next book, and I I just think I think she is a living legend, a goddess, and I would I would give it all up just to throw rose petals in front of her feet all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. I mean, you mentioned that you guys were contemporary. She's a bit older than you. She's about she, eight years older than me. She's sixty-three. Yeah. 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 Uh, for me, I, the 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 I think the most powerful part of this, the thing that I remember most vividly, is the the afterward and the mm-hmm. bonus content. Um, because it's Linda stepping into Linda, narrating. But with these characters and when she starts the afterword and you got free dog and she says, I mean, this 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 concept knocked me on my ass because as a comic book lifer like the three of us, I thought, wow, this is this is this is some fantastic way to describe something on a page, which is 
In real life, dogs don't live very long. They last about as long as childhood. Both leave funny kinds of ghosts behind, part memory, part no memory of all that happened in those 5,000 days. Yep. And I was like blown away. I, I thought, God damn, like to equate childhood and the life of a dog from a temporal perspective and then to make the point that they both leave remnants in our lot. I mean, that was like, man, I'm like, Jesus, that that's the kind of depth that she has in her thinking that I hope is conveyed to people when they read the stories. Right, right. And then in that same afterward, she starts to grapple with the things on which she's built her entire uh, curriculum, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, which she says, um, uh, da, 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 time moves, but it doesn't exactly pass. And things happen in comic strips that make you feel things. And they are still happening in that comic strip. You look at it and activate it. But where is it? Where are these stories about Free Dog and Freddy? They are not in my head, although I wrote them. They aren't on the pages that they are printed on. If these pages burned up in a fire, Free Dog and Freddy would survive. But where? And how? It's more than ordinary memory. They seem to have a certain aliveness that feels to be ongoing. And and that's Lin, that's Linda's thing with with what it is and just mm-hmm. the idea of trying to ascertain what happens to visual input once it enters our brain mm-hmm. and 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 what we how we process it and where it's stored and what it's it, I find her unbelievably fascinating. And, well, she's and your spirit. She's your spirit sister because... Oh, she is. Yeah. She's, there's another part where she says the when... She talks about the, the who, what, when, where and then says the when is the, is the thing and then she says the when in a comic strip is always now. The same now you are in this instant no matter what year of your life you are in today. Like It is what it is now as you're consuming it. Yep. And it's going to be different if you consume it another day in your life, or someone else consume it. Right. And, and I mean, I know that's that's a that is ta- that is a that is a tangent of a of a concept you often put forth into the world about the idea of art being once it's created becomes its own. It 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 lives and breathes on its own. Yeah, you can visit it, um, but it exists independently of of you, me, the person that created it, everybody. Yeah. And that that also ties into the thing that we grapple with here when we say uh, when we'll read we'll read something of vintage of a certain vintage and we're like does it hold up you know is is this thirty year old or forty year old comic does it really hold up in today's modern world and we ask these questions and it's it's a a bit of a a slight against the material because it shouldn't have to hold up it should be its own thing. If, if if you want to digest it, it is what it is. It's not – it wasn't written in 2019. It was written in 1977. You know, uh, so for it to jump across decades and, and touch you in the same way now that it did readers back then is almost impossible. It, it is impossible, you know? And, and so I think it's, it's, a, it's not fair to ask if something holds up because – well, for all the reasons why I said, you know, it 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 shouldn't hold up. It should be what it is, right? In the words of Linda Berry, what it is. So there you go. I mean, if you if you want to just get in on on uh, Berry, you've never experienced 
anything she's done. I think Freddie's stories is a good place to start. The the what it is and her her more theory based books may be a little daunting at first before you get a a, a little delay of the land on how she approaches mm-hmm. creating. But um, I suggest getting everything she's ever done. That would make you a very happy and intelligent person for doing so. But check out this Freddie stories. It's it's a brilliant piece of work. But again, um, do, does Freddie become Freddie again? I don't know. Uh, I don't want to spoil that for you. Read the damn book. There's there's a semi happy ending. Semi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's semi. Yeah, it's about as happy as as. Um, Linda's going to give you for this this little man who who has um, trouble coping with with the world. Yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. There you go. What else do we have? We we got to have more stuff. This is a, this is. We need more book. <laughs> we need more book. Well, um, I. Got to give some love to uh, our boy, Mr. Jeff Lemire. No surprise. I always give him love. But uh, Frog Catchers came out. The much anticipated uh, in his line of Simon and Schuster graphic novels. Because the man doesn't have enough going on. He, right. he doesn't have enough doing the Black Hammer and the image stuff and the DC stuff and the TV stuff. He's got to also have the and the dark horse stuff. He's got to have his own line at Simon and Schuster as well. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but uh, uh, the latest is called Frog Catchers. It is written and drawn by Jeff, and it is um, in some ways familiar territory if you're familiar with Jeff's more personal uh, works. Um. But it's a bit more uh, – It's this is basically like a giant fever dream is the way to think about this one. Uh, a couple points on it. One, um, the artwork in this is rawer than normal, Jeff. And Jeff is not someone who has a very super refined drawing style. He's, he's – he, he, there's already some, some uh, scratchiness to his – cartooning but in this case and if we have him on again sometime soon i will talk to him it seems like he intentionally decided to be even looser with the pencil just to let it go just to tell the story um and i think it works for what this is because as i said it's basically a fever dream about a gentleman who vacillates between young and old when he's young his favorite thing to do is to catch frogs. And now he's old and he's wakes up. He's in a strange hotel. Uh, but it's, it's, it's very David Lynchian and that the hotel is empty other than him. There's a door across the way. That's a dead frog is, is nailed to the door. Then there's a little boy who looks strikingly like him. That's trying to lead him away because the frog King is going to come and get him. And uh, they meander about into basements and corridors and cellars. And uh, all the while, the boy is definitely afraid of, 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 of them going back to the hotel room where the 
frog was nailed to the door, and then there's these Nosferatu-like uh, creatures that are chasing them, and um, uh, but but like with with all things Jeff, there's 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 more to to what's happening here. It's 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 truly all in um, in in service of a much more human issue, which is someone dealing with their life and possibly the end of their life and um, coming to terms with their regrets from their life and the things they wish they could have done differently, but it's not too late to do that. Uh, most of the book is black and white. Um, and then every so often, maybe every 20, 25 pages, there's a color page. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm trying to be vague about the, the, the narrative. Cause, cause I mean, that's the whole point of this book. It's a small book. It's, I don't have a page count, but I'm guessing it's like 110, 120 pages maybe. Um, but it's, listen, if, if you are a fan of Jeff's more human, humanistic creator owned work, uh, like your Essex County, like your underwater welder, um, like your Royal city, this is, this is of that ilk. And, uh, it's a gut punch. Um, Jeff has spent a lot of his career, particularly when he draws something reflecting on childhood and the way that childhood experiences carry into who we are as adults and how we cope with that and how we make amends for that or how we build off that. And, uh, this is another, uh, Example of that. And Jeff mentions at the end of the book that he was, in fact, a frog catcher as a kid. So I presume that uh, I presume because he caught frogs, he decided to turn that into a much crazier story. And uh, it was just rambling around in his head for a long time. And he finally put it to paper. So uh, no surprise, because I don't know that I've ever read something I didn't recommend of Jeff's, but but two huge thumbs up for it. Uh, Once again, it's called Frog Catcher's written and drawn by Jeff and uh, you can get it just about anywhere, but it is uh, published by Simon and Schuster. They're gallery 13, which is their graphic novel division. So that's the uh, same imprint that did um, the graphic novel, the, the three women in Havana, right? Damn. What the hell was the name of it? It was a graphic. It, it, you, you, you had it on your list. I talked about it a couple. Of oh, uh, not okay. Lost Girls, but yeah, it, it's. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Gallery Thirteen is the same. Um, oh damn! And it was. It, it looks like Darwin Cook is drawn. It, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking Bad about. Bad girls, you're talking about. That's Alex thank you. Yes, yeah, yes. That, that I couldn't remember. Yes. The, God, I couldn't remember Alex's last name. They also yes. they also published the Chabute books, which are our our which buddy Zhao right and Cunyes was kind of to, to yep. give us. Uh, recently um you know what we should they, do speaking of that we should announce mm-hmm. the book of the month yes we should yes, right i have it right here yes they also by the way jeff did, did the roughneck which he put out was from them as well oh so, so that's why i said this is the follow this is the second book in his he's a contract with them so i don't know how many more he's got with them but michael cooper uh michael cooperman's all the answers as well as through this print. so anyway yeah book of the month Book of the month is Glenn Ganges in the River at Night by Kevin Wazinga. 
and it looks fantastic. I can't. I, I started flipping through it. I can't wait to get into it. I love the look of it. And that will be Wednesday, October thirtieth. We're going to do that, right? Yes. Yes. So Wednesday episode, you'll get it a day earlier uh, this time around. Um, but it is available uh, from Drawn and Quarterly if you don't already have it. Um, and I am, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And why is that our book of the month? Because we all actually have it, uh, but it was also um, sent to us and waiting for us at Jason's. Thanksgiving. At uh, New York Comic Con Eve. Give give credit. to Oh, by J- well, we did on, I mean, we already did by Jason. I know. Eve. Right. Gave him all the credit in the world on well, the episode. But now it's time to do so again. There you go. There, there you go. go. I got I got a lot of somethings. <laughs> I stopped by the 2000 AD booth at New York Comic Con. Uh, and it was on a Sunday. So everything was, all the prices were slashed. Yeah. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. And I picked up a bunch, uh, three hardcovers. I do love my 2080 hardcovers. And more importantly, I do love my Dark Judges. Uh, so um, I read them all, but two of them are interconnected. One is a sequel. Uh, the first one is Judge Dredd, Dark Justice, which was written by John Wagner. No surprise. But illustrated by Greg Staples. Fully painted by Greg Staples. It's awesome. It's it's Staples is one of those guys. He's like a um, he's in in cloak mode all the time. Like he, you never re- people aren't throwing the name Greg Staples around. But when his stuff is shoved underneath your nose, you're like, holy shit, Greg Staples is really good. And uh, I am one of those people that think that. But it's a cool premise. Um, it it takes place in the fallout of Day of Chaos, as does seemingly most stuff from 2000 AD these days. Like, Day of Chaos was a big deal. Um, there's so many different um, stories that seem to be spiraling out of this giant event. Um, and the the gist of it is that there the, there's a group of fat cats in Mega City 1, which is mostly destroyed, and uh, very, very wealthy people that seem to think like okay this this planet's done we we had our shot it's it's over let's get the hell out of here so what they do is they make a uh, a, a ship called the mayflower <laughs> and nice. and they they exit stage left they they get off planet because they have the wherewithal to do so they're rich they they basically you know funded the entire thing themselves and got off planet. And they're looking for a, a habitable world in which to spread the, the taint of humanity. And wouldn't you know it, Judge Death manages to take over one of the, uh, one of the members of, of the, these pilgrims, uh, along with Judges Fire, Mortis, and Fear, and it's basically Judge Dredd and Cy Judge Anderson in a Aliens meets Ghostbusters meets 2000 AD. Because it, most of it takes place within the confines of the Mayflower. Uh, Dredd and Anderson 
get there and it's 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 an aliens cat and mouse where the the judges are hunting the the dark judges and vice versa but judge anderson has this little handy dandy device that once a dark judge is gravely injured the the spirit leaks out of the body and she has it's a ghostbuster spirit trap basically but it, it's shaped differently so when they wound the judges they throw this little trap next to them and it sucks their essence and safely confines the uh the spirit into the uh the device so it's 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 like a killer be killed type scenario within the confines of a starship and and at the end uh judges death um mortis and fear are left floating in space and that's where the sequel starts it's uh called uh dark justice dominion and the um a supply ship is going to a colony world and they see these bodies floating in space and one of them gets stuck on the front of the ship like jesus you know and they get the low man on the totem pole to go out and try and pry the body off the the front of the ship and it's it's one of, it's a dark judge it's judge death and so they worm their way into this colony world and do the same thing um the three of them judge uh fire i believe was it judge fire one of the judges was uh sequestered within the previous volume so you only have three dark judges in this but still Three Dark Judges is pretty damn awesome. So, and again, it's like if if the Dark Justice was alien, Dark Justice Dominion is more aliens because we have a colony world that is now being infested with the Dark Judges and they can reanimate the dead. So everybody they kill becomes a soldier in their Dark Army. And I just, I eat the Dark Judges up. I love, I don't think there's a more terrifying um visual presence than judge death i love the design of it and i guess that's mr brian boland's doing so uh i think he did something really well with that because it just creeps me out when i see the skinny ass judge with the uh rictus that's all distorted and the teeth and the the shield that oh it's Mm -hmm. it just creeps me the hell out i can't even put it into words how how judge death affects me but john wagner on judge dread it's a win. And he's such a dick. In the beginning of the first volume, they have a new um, lawmaster. They're, they're testing out this lawmaster. I think it's Mark III, the gun. And uh, it's like uh, he's being uh, trained in the, the usage of the gun. And the, the tech is telling him, yes, it has eight or nine whatever different settings. And it has explosive and high impact and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And he's going down the list. And this technician next to him says to Dredd, like, dumbass, why would you ever say this to Judge Dredd? Seems like a little bit like overkill. Like, why would you need all that firepower? And Judge Dredd says, if you have to ask that question, you've never been out in the field. Why don't you go be retrained? And, like, he demotes this guy and sends him back to training just because he just made small talk with Dredd. You know, like, (laughs) this stuff, I'll tell you. There's a real comfortable, fuzzy spot that 2000 AD stuff scra- uh, scratches for me. And, and I just, I, I just, I've never been able to shake it. 
I, I don't constantly read it, but when I do, it reminds me just how much I love the stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I guess that's most of the things we read. Like, um, we'll, we'll let stuff stack up and then, or, you know, God forbid we don't buy something for a while, but then we'll go back to it and it's like, yeah, now I remember. Oh, hell yeah. What I loved so much about this. Mm-hmm. But um, constant presence in my life. It, it may go away for a little while, but 2000 AD always claws itself back to the surface. And I, I, I just, I'm just reminded how much I freaking love Judge Dredd. Yep. And, it, you know, it, it's that same place that the Punisher occupies for me. Although mm-hmm. I respect Dread a little bit more than Frank. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, Frank's. I, 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 you could argue that maybe Dread is mentally unstable, but no, I don't. But, but you could but argue, Dredd but Fred is, is uh, Frank is is there's there's something off about Frank, Frank yeah. is absolutely one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah Dread yeah. is just more a product of his of his society. Well, yeah, but and and he's a serviceman, right? He's a he, that's what I mean. I don't know that he's he's, right, he's, he's been he's been brought up in a world where that role requires that kind of behavior, right? Right. So. And oddly enough, I'm reading. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm reading Jodorowsky's uh, Meta Baron's Genesis, uh, Kastaka. It's called. I got it at New York Comic Con, and the majority of the book is about these these people that live by this code. And and like dread, it's not okay. I'll follow rules three, twelve, and fourteen today. But rule number seven in the current situation I'm in, rule number seven doesn't really. Um, I'm not going to come out on top if I follow rule number seven. The people in the meta barons or the, the the groups in the meta barons adhere to these codes without falter. Like if number if if one part of the code says you must slash your wrists on a daily basis, they'll slash their wrists on a daily basis, even though it brings you know harm to themselves. Where the the idea of adhering oneself to a very very rigid structured way of behavior is completely alien to me. Like I could never ever live by a code, no matter mm. because. There, there are there are instances in your life where you have to break the code, mm-hmm. and the ramifications of not breaking the code are more grievous than if you break the code. Like um, these people that the, the the Christian scientists or whatever, where you know we cannot treat mm. ailments because the Lord has His way. And if he if he wants this person to die, then it's in it, it was planned by the Lord. Mm-hmm. Really, you're allowing your kid to die because of this code by which you live. It, it, again, I can, I just can't do it. I cannot operate by a list of of things that mandate me to act in a, in the particular way in this in every given circumstance. I can't do it, and that's mm-hmm. just that's just dread, and and that's Frank. They 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 operate on this this almost like a uh, uh, a you're, you know, back in the day when we used to put the cards in the computer like a, a punch card. The punch card goes in. The computer a- operates 
according to the stipulations punched into the card, and it's a machine. Dredd and, and, and Frank, they're machines because they live by these rules preordained by somebody. You know, the book of the law, you can't falter. If it says this, you got to do this. I, I cannot, I can't, I, I'm just not wired that way. And so it fascinates me to, to read about these characters that are, right? And the Meta Barons, it's all about living one's life by a code of honor. And it's just, it, it compounds the, the sci-fi themes by having this, this structure that to me is as much, you know, fiction, uh, outlet, you know, uh, speculative fiction than, than the story itself, because I just can't imagine myself living like that. Can't do it. <laughs> Everything is permitted. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't co-sign with that, but uh, that's cool. I get it. I mean, you have your, your beliefs and stuff, but sometimes those beliefs don't work. Oh, I agree with you that living a life of unyielding rules in every facet is almost impossible, even if you intend to. Right. And and people die in Metabarance because they, they, uh, they don't conform, or they do conform to the structure of the code. Like, early on, and it sets up the entire Metabarance thing. Um, a woman is raped by the opposing clan's leader and she delivers the child and after eight days she kills herself as stipulated in the code like what mm-hmm. you, you were raped you, you you didn't ask for it it was brought upon you and now you're killing yourself because of someone else's transgression does not compute. Does does doesn't doesn't compute. Sorry, but I mean that's Yodorowsky. He he uh, he's he's a very black and white man. Yes, he is. How about the uh, the big big news of the week? Well, depending on what side of the fence you're on, yeah. What's the big news? Wait, what? Are you talking about Feige? I'm talking about Feige. That that's how you say it, Feige. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. What what about it? You seem dismissive of it. I care? I'm entirely dismissive of it because it doesn't it doesn't factor to me. I don't care what Why? Goes, I don't care what goes on in that sector. We're the still, Marvel comic sector? We're still going to get the books. So, you know, whatever whoever's behind the scenes doing the manipulations uh, irrelevant. As well, long, you, that's your best case scenario. Yeah. But you don't know that's how it's going to go. No. Um, how do you assume that it's going to go? Well, I mean, I, I don't make it. I, for those that don't know what we're talking about, Kevin Feige, who has um, become arguably the most powerful person at Disney outside of Bob Iger, the CEO, because of his incredible success with the films, uh, has been promoted to the head of Marvel Entertainment on Moss which means he is now officially in charge of television and publishing as well, a.k.a. the comic books. Um, I mean, I'm presuming that this move is much more about the television and giving Ike Perlmutter the fuck-offs than it is about the comics. Um, But never say never. I mean, it, it definitely raises the potential for material changes, I think. Because to this point, publishing has essentially been its own thing, operating 
pretty much independently a tiny small division with enough of a profit margin that they don't pay much attention to it. So maybe that's how it stays because Kevin's got plenty of other things on his plate. Uh, But one thing you can bet on is there will be changes. There's always changes when a new boss takes over, right? Now, whether they're changes to your point that we care about or that we notice that I can't say, I I don't know. Um, But uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm pretty stoked about it really because I, I think you, how can you not think that Feige's, I mean, he's got the Midas touch, right? I mean, he, look what he's done with the films. He, he, he went to battle against like Perlmutter and won, and the decisions that he fought for were the right ones. Perlmutter didn't want to make Black Panther. He didn't want to make Captain Marvel. And Feige said, basically went over his head and said, I'm going to make these movies because they're part, they're going to be great. And the rest is history, right? Black Panther over a billion dollars, Captain Marvel over a billion dollars. So I just, I, yeah, I think I'm intrigued. I don't think he grew up as a comic book fan though. So I I could see a path here where maybe they start to wonder what the point of the publishing division is. Um, But hopefully that's not the case. And if it is the case, we won't know for a long time. I I don't think anything's going to change for a while. So. But we got a lot of people interested in our views on this one, so that's why I wanted to make sure we brought it up. Well, I I think I agree with you in the in the fact that the publishing aspect is a is a blip in in terms of the you know the television and the movie stuff. I think an eye will be, you know, they'll keep an eye on it, but I don't think it's really going to matter as far as the the paper stuff or the paper slash digital stuff. I th- I think it's all, you know, just trying to to tend to the the stuff that seems to appeal to the big picture, the TV and the movie stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for those those of you who are big into the TV, this is certainly good news because uh, the television efforts that have been run by, I, I would assume Jeff Loeb's out of a job, but I mean, nothing that's Damn. official. But, well, I mean, it, Jeff Loeb has been in charge of TV up to this point. So um, maybe he keeps his job and now just answers the fight. Yeah, I don't know, but but... Um, either way, I think if there's a, if you look at the Marvel entity as those three, TV, film, and publishing, I think it's fair to say the TV has been by far the least successful. So, um, and, and at least now we know that, that the, the TV, we already got hints that this was happening in that the TV was going to be more intimately linked to the film universe because with Disney plus looming, all of the TV shows that are announced are are not only tied into the films, but starring the actors from the films. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is all goodness on that front. Like, I think if you like the hundreds of millions of people on the earth that are big fans of what Marvel's done with the films, uh, I think this bodes well for the quality and consistency of the Disney plus content being up to snuff. Um, but yeah, I, I I think a lot of people wanted to know what we thought about the publishing side. I just I wish I had more to say. I, I don't I just don't see that as the, as a high priority for him because I'm guessing that publishing's doing just fine, and it's such a small line item that they'd have to be doing really poorly for them to decide that they needed to do something drastic with it. I mean, it's point one percent of a of of revenues, right? Of for Disney, if if that. Maybe point zero one percent. So, just I, I feel like they have bigger fish to fry. True that. And the other big news, Vince of the week, 
which my son Holden was elated about when I told him when he got home from school because he just finished reading it is that Jeff Smith's bone has been picked up by Netflix. That's neat. I think so. It, it all happened today, so I have no idea whether it's going to be a film adaptation or they're going to do a TV series. I, I, both, I don't know. They haven't said, but I think that's super cool. I, I hope it. what comes of it could always change my view, but I, I love the idea that we're going to see the, the bones in some other form because they're awesome. Have we ever talked about Bone on the show? Yes. I mean, we've mentioned many, it. Many, like, many we've mentioned Bone, but yeah. Okay. So we, we, we did a deep dive on it? Oh, I don't we think did, we did a deep dive. No, we didn't do a... Yeah, no, we didn't We didn't go long and hard. But um, mm-hmm. we've we've all mentioned... Especially, I think I was probably the last one to... Re- I, I was gifted the... Um, the original uh, one volume right. edition, and and so when I I read that, I I talked about it, which uh, by that point was you know way to finally catch up to everybody else in 1998. But it was still, um, yeah. But as far as you know, going into it and 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 the the, the different characters and what we we haven't we haven't gone all in. Right, right. right. Well, there you go. Well, A little bit of current so events cool. there, huh? Yeah, no, I know it always puts you out of you're always out of your element with news. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? I gotta deal with Wait, the reality of today. Yeah, you know, I, when you said I'm dismissive, I'm thinking I'm not dismissive, and then I'm thinking, yes, I am dismissive because <laughs> because if I don't if I don't care, that's entirely dismissive. It is entirely dismissive. Yes. Yeah. So yes. uh, I guess I am dismissive, and I'm I'm not sorry. Sorry, uh, not sorry. No, sorry, not sorry. That's just uh, again, it's just the way I'm wired. It's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Yep. So, so there you have it, people. Thank you uh, one more time for being here. As always, you know where to go if you want all this comic book stuff. You go to Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. One more time. Yeah, dcbservice.com, where you can get Drifting Dragons, Volume 1 from Kadansha for seven fourteen. Skull Digger from the World of Black Hammer, number one of six, dollar ninety nine, and from IDW, Wellington, number one of five, for a dollar ninety nine. In your travels, isn't it awesome when something comes out of the blue and completely spins your head around? You're like, holy shit! That is the best. That's the I did in comics. Yes, I did not know how barren my life was without this book. Mm-hmm. And from an unlikely source, um, and th- that's not a derisive comment, um, because Alterna Comics have a standard, and their standard is the equivalent of inventory stories at Marvel or the Marvel <laughs> Marvel tryout. No, I'm not. I'm not dismissing them, but in a lot of cases, Alterna Comics features work. From the not ready for primetime players, uh, you got to be honest, right? I I enjoy their books. I get almost all of them. They're inexpensive. They're they're good, and you know they 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 satiate me. 
when I'm reading them. So it's all good, right? But like I'm saying, sometimes something pops up and you're like, wow, tallest guy in the room. It's written and colored by Ryan Wynn, pencils and inks by Dean Kotz. And we have seen Dean Kotz on uh, Warlord of Mars Attacks. Jason, just so you know where I'm coming from on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a four-issue miniseries, the first issue of which I've read. It's called Gods and Gears, number one. And it is amazing. If you like the terrifics, if you like the work of uh, Doc Shaner and the books that he dis- he deems worthy of his talents, you'll like Gods and Gears. Uh, it starts off with a race. Is this this 10th annual Grand Prix race at Carbon City. And the focus of the race is this driver uh, for Zinger Industries called Captain Driver. And he's got a kid sidekick, a young mechanic, and the, the kid's name is Shotgun. So Captain Driver has invented this, this elixir called uh, Machina Anginium. And it's, it's a potion that generates a psychic bond between the automobile and the driver, right? So the race is on, they're screaming across, and the design of this thing is impeccable. Um, Tothian in some spots, right? So they're, they're driving, they go up this giant ramp, and the kid is, is holding on to the car, and, and Captain Driver's like, yeah, the potions should kick in by now, and, and we're, we're good. And this portal opens up. And Shotgun falls into the portal. And he, he goes through this place called the Blending, which is a dimension without time or space. And he pops out into a place called Mycelia. And there's, of course, giant mushrooms all over the place. It says it's in South America in 1890 AD, but I don't know what planet it's on because it sure doesn't look like ours. Like giant mushrooms and, and people living in the under of the mushrooms and tree houses and just it's beautiful to see right so he he meets this kid named eli molina and the kid is a grandson of a man named oscar molina who the kid says was the bestest explorer and alchemist the world has ever known and he believed that long ago the world was visited by gods that brought humanity the gift of magic but it was lost right and grandpa's dead so we can't ask Grandpa about it, but he, he, Eli has his memory, and he has Grandpa's notes and Grandpa's maps, and he plans to carry on in his ancestors' footsteps, but he's being chased by talking gorillas known as the Thunder Brothers. And these gorillas are bearing down on the kids, and, ah, and, and Jimmy, that's Shotgun's real name, he's pulled into Eli's problems, which are Grandpa's problems, and at the end of the issue... As Eli and and uh, Jimmy are fleeing from these gorillas, we get to see the arrival of this woman named Ezamar, who's this dark magical force and sexy as hell, by the way, um, who arrives at Mycelia. And it seems that Grandpa, Oscar Molina, kind of wronged her at one time. And now, damn it to hell, she's going to get it on his, his progeny. And she's going to make their life. She's going to get hers, basically. I, I love this issue. It was fast. It was uh, visually exciting, stunning artwork. It And it was only a buck and a half, I think. Let me see. 
Yeah, cover price a buck and a half. Yeah, a buck and a half. And it's it's printed on newsprint, which is um it's not a detriment. It's 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 old school, right? But holy crap, was this gorgeous. You should go out, run out and get this because it's going to be one of those books that once this uh Dean Cotts uh permeates the uh the zeitgeist, this book is going to be worth a lot of money. Not that's not the only reason to read it, but I mean make an investment. This book is phenomenal, I'm telling you. Gods and Gears number 1. Go get it. The uh there was a bit of a preview in it came out on a Wednesday, I think issue 8. Yeah. Um and which didn't really doesn't really it's kind of its own thing. It was it was it it kind of gave you an idea as to what to expect, but as far as the characters that were introduced or it featured, um not really part of this first issue, which um which is cool. I, I I'm digging it. it. It does look absolutely amazing. And and the um and and the newsprint is uh is fitting, I think, for for the story, for the art, for um for what it's doing. But uh yeah, no, it it's it's it looks really, really cool. And uh yeah, I, I I'm plan on ordering I think it's bi monthly, but I plan on uh I plan on getting the four issues. Yep. Nothing flips my trigger faster than an anthology that features work that you're eventually going to see in upcoming series. Like if you yeah. have a, if you have an anthology and it's like, hey, here's an eight page preview of you know Amazing Turtle Man. Well, what the hell? I pre ordered Amazing Turtle Man two months ago, so now I'm I'm getting eight pages of something that I. I bought and I'm going to get in two months. Like, no, no, I don't think an anthology is, is a promotional tool. If no, do it the way right. that, that they did it and feature a story from the world of this, right. this book and give me uh, some reason to m- make it a unique item, not, not just a, you know, let's fill up eight pages with something we're going to republish in two months. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to read pages nine and above, right. then, you know, then get the first issue. No, don't, don't do that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I could take the easy way out and just co-sign Gods and Gears number one. There are a couple of first issue quick hits I think I'll do for next week, but in your travels, um, I am going to say, um, this absolutely, um, surprised me and and uh it is another book by uh female writer and a female artist and it is part of it's it's published by dark horse under burger books it's ruby falls number one written by anna senti uh, art by flavia biondi and it um it's it's one of those weird stories where the locale, the 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 town, is as an important is as important as as the characters in the story. But um, you're introduced to um, young woman whose father um, owns 
and operates the uh, the butcher shop. Um, her mother is um, well. Her 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 um, her her grandmother um, uh, Lynn is, is is the young lady's name, but her her grandmother is in the uh, is in the senior care facility. Um, not so good with her memory, and she seems to be remembering something that happened when she was much younger and involved the murder of a young woman. And um, Lana's trying to find out if this story actually is 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 true, um, and the people in town. Some are saying, you know, it's your grandmother. She's just. She's losing it. She's making this up. And some people are like, well, you know, maybe it did. And, and the town is called Ruby Falls because of the, um, because of the clay and the, uh, the waterfall looks like it's, it's, it's red, but it may actually have to do with, with some moiter and, uh, and, and whether or not that's actually blood. But I, I think the, um, I, I, I was, I'm, I'm kind of grooving to, and story here and and the the art bandy's art kind of fluctuates between a little on the um uh cartoonier side some very similar to um the way duffel drew uh freak angels and and then um so it's it's that loose kind of uh henderson assassination nation look and then um uh, some some pages are it's a little little tighter and um but again it's it's you're you're in this it's the first issue you're getting hooked into the 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 town and some of the characters and whether or not um there's a cold case going on that 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 maybe people are are trying to solve but i think um i i uh the the back matter by by Anne where she came up with the idea of the story and she brought it to Karen and then um was introduced to to Flavia and 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 how everything kind of just kind of just came together how things fall together and um I was uh I was pretty I I, I guess I'll say surprised I I tried it on a whim and um was was quite happy uh that I did so it was it was a uh, it was another win for me but um but that was one of the first issues that I read over the past couple of days I've read a couple others which I'll save for um for a quick hit next week but I I kind of one of which I didn't want I didn't think was going to be a quick hit but it it kind of is and I'll just I'll just leave that as a teaser but yeah in your travels Ruby Falls number 1 of 4 Excellent. Uh, in your travels, shout out to longtime friend of the show, listener and buddy, Mr. John O'Neill, for turning me on to this work, uh, which is to say uh, he put me on Heracles, which is um, produced lovingly by our good friends at Lion Forge through their magnetic press division, which you all probably sick of me talking about, because every time they put something out, I talk about it. But uh, this is another European graphic novel that has been brought over by Lion Forge and translated into the English. Um, 
This book is written and drawn by Edouard Cour, C-O-U-R, who is uh, a French graphic designer and cartoonist. Uh, this was originally published in 2012 through 2015, uh, and there are three volumes. I have all three volumes. I have read the first volume, um, Heracles Book One. The, as always with Lion Forge, they do a fantastic job uh, just from a presentation standpoint. This is an all-black hardcover with uh, gold lettering and imagery uh and then the second and third volumes are metallic blue and metallic red but the same uh fonts just book two and book three um as you can imagine that given that it's called heracles this is core's uh graphic interpretation of the hercules myth which um is one i'm sure most of you know about uh i not too long ago uh sung the praises of David Rubin's The Heroes, book one and two, which uh, were my favorite comics of that year. And that was also a look at uh, the Hercules myth. Um, this is much different than that in the sense that um, he plays it a little straighter, um, a little more t- strict to the um, chronology and the happenings of um, the original mythology. But I will say that uh, I love Kors visual narrative he draws hercules in uh, like a giant oaf basically he's, he's he's just got hugely thick legs and a massively wide torso he's not overly muscular he's just a big dude like he's he's more paul bunyan than than the rock you know what i mean um and he's got just this massive beard and these sharp eyes that peek through all of this overgrowth of hair uh, and he's going about uh, his business, trying to handle the the, the trials that uh, are put upon him. And in this first book, we get a handful of those trials. Um, but uh, wow, this is a beautiful book. And I'm telling you, Lion Forge is just, uh, they're just an unsung hero of the industry. Uh, and if you are at all into mythology, uh, you need to add this to your collection uh, I'm eagerly, I'm eagerly anticipating reading volumes two and three to see how this thing uh, continues. Well, listen, we all know, we all know what's going to happen because I'm familiar with the mythology, but how he goes about telling that story. And uh, given the pacing, uh, I am interested to see volume three in particular because uh, unless he really slows down what happens, he should be through most or all of the trials in volume two, I would think. So we'll see what happens from there. But uh, this is terrific. It really is. And, uh, I just I don't know that Lion Forge's magnetic collection has any whiffs in it. So uh, this one came out last year, by the way. It's not new. Uh, volume three came out relatively recently, but this first volume came out about a year, year and a half ago. So you can get it at anywhere you uh, you would normally get your comics. But uh, one more time, it's Heracles, book one by Edouard E D O U A R D Cour C O U R and. Uh, Originally a French graphic, uh, French bond dessinée, but now published by Lionforge. I don't know how I slept on that one. I don't know. Maybe you still have uh, the bad taste of that. What was that Hercules book that was? Uh, was it Legend? Not Legendary. 
You know the one that they made? The oh, rock it, yeah, it was legendary. It was legendary. Yeah. It was legendary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's just a whole load of poop. Yeah, it was poop. <laughs> it was <laughs> hot steam and poop. Yeah, yeah, and it was published concurrently with Caliber, which yes. was a, an update yes. on the, poop. Yes. the yes. Arthurian legend, and they can yes. both suck yes. it. <laughs> I still can't believe I mean, The Rock The Rock has done a lot of movies. That's maybe his worst one. Oh, yeah. Not only one uh, Hercules miniseries, I think there was two from from. Uh, was there? Yeah, I read the first one. I remember, and even I think talked about it on the show, and that was way back when Neesman was still here. I know yeah. that. So yeah, yeah. And then uh, Sedgwick did uh, Aladdin, which was ugh, oh, that's right, a big stinking oh, turd. Too. Yeah, yes. Legendary does not hold uh, no. a, a, a a wonderful place. In I knew we were in trouble with Legendary when the first press that they were doing was denying that they were just making these stories to make movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't okay. protest too much. Seriously. Uh, One does not lie. This is not that. This is not that. Yeah. But it does sound good. It looks great. Um, I, I, as you were saying, I, I was like, what did I, did I miss this? I, I remember the cover now, but I don't remember the interior pages. Interior pages. It's are- weird because I feel like, well, I guess this must have, the first volume must have come out before we got fully aboard the Lionforge train. That's Maybe. the only explanation I can have for it because I pretty much, I, I scour the Lionforge solicits every month and, mm-hmm. and always I default to buying, like I, I default to buying any of the magnetic stuff. So I, I just, this must've, this first volume must've been solicited before I was doing that. And then I just didn't, didn't focus on the follow-ups. Right. But yeah, I'm going to have to rectify because these look great. Yes. Wow. Okay, you can't see what I'm seeing. So, people, if <laughs> if you're interested, by all means, please check out this Heracles because it's visually stunning. Hercules, Hercules. Yeah. There you go. Another one in the can, people. If you want more of this stuff, you just can't get enough. Well, then come just to come to Facebook and Twitter and Reddit and Instagram and Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics we would love to have you we just can't get enough as jason says so uh do that and then come back next time for more of this and in the meantime say good night you know it is halloween so i'm going to pull down the freddy one of these episodes before the end of the month and have freddy talk in between nice yeah freddy's appeared on the show before he has. Mm-hmm. David. Did you just say it? I did. Never okay. going to get it. Never going to get it. Never going to get it. Right. <laughs> oh. Because it sounded like you cut off. So, But then we started talking about Jason, Freddy. That and- chick that we were listening to an interview with on Howard Stern, the young girl who sings and write, her brother writes the songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Billy Eilish. Holy shit, is that right. song good? David. Yeah, dude. She's very talented. But no, it, I mean it's I like because it's chaotic and it's um, it the 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 riff is great. <laughs> that that is mm-hmm. great stuff. I may I may just buy this album. How crazy oh, is it shit. that they make that they make that stuff in her bedroom? It's not crazy. In today's day and age, that's pretty crazy. No, the uh, technology affords that. In the, it's you, neat, right? It is very neat. Yes, but the 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 apps out there now, you can do it easily. Not easily. You have to be creative, and and you have to have that spark. But my son makes beats on the computer across the room. 
So mm-hmm. and anybody can do it. And it's funny. <laughs> he brands every one of his songs because he doesn't want somebody to steal it. What so, is he known as? DJ Vinny B? No, Vinny Beats. So what he does oh is... Oh, my God. Shut up. Wait, wait. Oh, listen. No. Listen. In the beginning of the song, you'll hear... And you'll hear something go... Vinny Beats. Oh, like DJ Khaled? Yeah. DJ Khaled. And, and he, he, he recently changed it. He recently Ooh, changed it. Do an intro music for us. All right, fine. He he did one, and it starts off slow, right? And it goes, Vinny beats yo. <laughs> why, why are you gonna get on your side? <laughs> and uh, every time I hear it, I laugh. And he turns around, and he goes, "Shut up." <laughs> you ain't right, Vinny beats. All right, everybody. <laughs> It's so stupid, oh, dude. I've been to. I, I I almost called you because I was walking out of the um, I was walking out of my building the other day and walking past the Mac Lab, and I swear to God, I don't. I, they had the doors open. It's it's like quarter to five, so it's pretty quiet in the building. I swear to God, I thought Ross was there with his keyboard. I oh, don't know no. what the hell. They had the helicopters coming. It. I was just like, what the fuck is this? And, <laughs> Wait, 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 figure out. Wait, quiet. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, my God. I hate that man. I hate him. <laughs> Kudos to the, the writers of Friends for making Ross such a believable character because I hate him. I know. I know. But anyway, um, and my son has a SoundCloud. I don't know what his name is, but he's on SoundCloud. So maybe it's Vinny Beats. I don't know. Vinny Beats, yo. <laughs> You heard <laughs> so, and he he mixes the lyrics of that Jaw rapper. I guess it's Triple X Tension or whatever. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, he loves this guy, and you know he's a hor- well, he's dead, but you know he's I know dead. he's a horrible person. Yeah, and uh, he's taken his lyrics and they. I guess they released them without the beats, just the lyrics, and so he makes new versions of this guy's songs. So I don't know. It's better than playing Fortnite. Which went dark? No, it came back. No, it's back. <laughs> it's back. Just yeah, we were we were watching. Yeah, it just went dark for a day, so they had they launched a completely new world. Yeah, time. and and did you have were your sons watching it? The the hole had this misty kind of stuff spiraling around it, but every once in a while they would project a number on the screen, and my son and I, like idiots, were watching it, writing down the damn numbers. Oh shit! We got them. I said, "Why?" Uh, no, I mean, and my my youngest played it. To, I was on the Peloton earlier, and he was playing it while I was on the Peloton, so I saw the new world. But yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Nancy plays Fortnite because Nancy was excited that the characters in her favorite video game got new costumes. So yeah. you can, you know, extrapolate. She plays Fortnite as she should. Why not? Right. All right, everybody. Long-winded outro. Sorry, but we'll be back. We out. We out. We We love you so much, and see you soon. Yerp. Latest. Yerp.